everybody. I'm Peter, and I don't know if you can tell from the tone of my voice, but because this is a special occasion, special episode, I am wearing a tuxedo and top hat, so I'm coming off a little more fancy. We're throwing out all the pomp and circumstance for this one. This is our twin son special episode, and I want to introduce the man himself, Mike. Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode by episode deep dive into the Star Wars animated series Rebels. I want to put like some fanfare and stuff in the background, wow. marching bands, things like that. It's we made it. This is the episode. We made it. <laughs> we did it. We yeah, there's like a 50% chance Mike might just quit after we do this episode. Uh, that was my next joke. <laughs> nice. 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 That's great. Um, so just so you know, this is a special episode for us. We have been gearing up for this for quite a while. As some of you may know from Mike's grading scale, he thinks quite fondly of this episode and it is a special Yeesh. one. So we are going to do things a little differently. We are going to have many of our main segments. We're going to talk about this episode, but we are going to have a ton of guests on today. We did a couple of interviews with some of our favorite mall stands. And then also we are going to have some call-ins from some of our favorite guests in the past. So that might be very fun. Wow. That is uh, so much. We have so much to, to get to and so much yep. going on. Yeah. So... Yeah. I'm ready to just jump into this if you are. Yeah, let's do this. Let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happens in episode 18 of season three, Twin Sun. I'm drinking space champagne refresher for I'm this special occasion. space chamomile. <laughs> After receiving a holocron message, Ezra tells the ghost crew that he must go to Tatooine to save Obi-Wan Kenobi from Maul. Against the crew's orders, Ezra and Chopper sneak away and head to Tatooine. Tatooine, 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 Tatooine. So many ways to say it. Yep. Upon arrival, they are attacked by a group of Gorfis, a.k.a. Tusken Raiders, if you want to be reductive, mm -hmm. but are unknowingly saved by Maul. Guided by the Holocron, Ezra and Chopper set off across the desert in search of Kenobi. After several hours of aimless wandering, Chopper runs out of power and shuts down. Ezra passes out. Upon awakening, he finds that Kenobi has rescued him and Chopper. After some fireside chat, Maul arrives and Kenobi sends Ezra to safety. The duel is quick but sweet and Maul dies in the arms of his one true love. No joke here. Kenobi reveals <laughs> to him that he is watching over whom he believes is the chosen one. The episode ends with Kenobi watching over the young Luke Skywalker at the Lars homestead. Holy mother of Moo Moo, this episode is amazing. Fanfare, fanfare, fanfare. It's everything I love about Star Wars crammed into a sweet, sweet 20-minute episode, but I won't get ahead of myself. So yep. let's jump into the theme for this episode. We're going to still lay out a theme because I have to. I want to and I need to for this episode. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk to some guests. But let's. the theme for this episode is, Can you? what would you guess, Peter? 
Give me three guesses on what you think this theme is. Samurai movies. Um, okay. I hate sand. It gets everywhere. And old age. All right. The theme for this episode <laughs> is samurai old age. No, yes. I'm just kidding. The theme for this episode is hope. Yep, hope. It is the most quintessential of Star Wars themes. I have not used it yet, interestingly enough. And it may perfectly describe the entirety of the Star Wars canon. So hope for Obi-Wan lies in Luke, and perhaps still Anakin, in balance and in peace. For Ezra, hope lies in Kenobi in this episode, and bringing him to the Rebellion so that they can defeat the Sith and the Empire... Hope for Ezra also lies in the larger rebellion, right? There's hope everywhere. Hope is everything, and it's said once an episode about something. Hope <laughs> for Maul lies in many things, and people are going to be all over the map here. But I believe subjectively, and I think with Maul, something I want to say up front is all of our beliefs can be really strong. We can disagree on what we think about Maul. But it's all subjective and it comes down to what you personally believe because there is no very clear roadmap on him and his life and his emotions. And I've read all the source material and all like the comics and books and what she's in and seen all the shows. And I tend to think about Maul a certain way and uh, I think that's okay. So, But my hope for Maul, I think it lies in vengeance. And his love-hate-love relationship with his one true worthy opponent, Kenobi. I believe Maul got what he wanted in the end with his death. Something Mm, of an honorable or at least a worthy death. Mm -hmm. I believe somewhere deep in his mind, Maul still believes he should have been killed by Kenobi on Naboo. But because he awkwardly survived, I think he has hope for a rematch to go back to the moment in time of his death and rewrite history or cement it or reimagine it. Who won did not matter to Maul, but gaining finality or clarity does. The worst part of getting bad news without a period on it or a we'll know more later is the waiting. Who was the better swordsman? Who should have survived? Who was the better force wielder? Why did I survive? All these questions mulling around his head with only one person to answer them, right? Kenobi. For Maul, ever since his anti-death moment, he has been a lost soul lingering in the in-between. He has, ru- he has risen in power. He has gained allies. He has appeared once in Solo and probably never again. <laughs> but he was meant to die. Lucas reanimated him. Let's be mm-hmm. clear about that. At the moment of his death, he was meant to die. Lucas reanimated him in the Clone Wars, which is great. But his mind was never right after that. Like so many of Edgar Allan Poe's reanimated loves, they had returned, but not right, not whole. Death had taken a piece of them and was waiting for the rest. I can't help but think of Voldemort and his horcruxes. For any interested in Maul and his backstory, I would strongly recommend you read his comic art. It provides a really nice insight into the obsessive mindset of his bloodthirsty pursuits for worthy opponents, which are fueled by the phantom hand of Sidious himself. He's setting these things up for Maul. He's fueling this bloodlust. And behind, so behind all this, there is another hope. And it lies in Luke and Anakin. How does this affect Maul? Palpatine has been pulling the strings on everything. Mm -hmm. Maul can see that. 
He will avenge us. Will he avenge us? Maul asks in his final moment. I strongly believe that Maul is asking if the chosen one will avenge all by ridding the world of Palpatine. Of course, the real chosen one is still Anakin. And with the help of Luke, the completely needed necessary help of Luke, they are able to avenge those oppressed by Palpatine or toyed with by Palpatine or ruled over by him. Mm. Until, of course, this was redconned by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> and I don't say that unironically. I mean that completely honestly. Um, if we pretend, I, I just can't help but think that J.J. had zero idea what he was doing to the story when he reintroduced Palpatine like that, regardless of it being, you know, Leia, I mean, sorry, Ray was mm-hmm. related to him, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, <laughs> reintroducing Palpatine in of himself to me is problematic to so much of the story and show it, it, it almost honestly, it, it almost zeroes everything I just said. Mm. It almost makes everything I said not true. So in almost in my head canon, I'm pretending it didn't happen um, because in Palpatine's also non-death, there is issues. Uh, Palpatine was meant to die. Lucas killed him and continued the story with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Palpatine coming back ruins a lot of this and is, like I said, makes him a not whole character. Okay, I'm, I'm not, I won't go down too far <laughs> that route. But, for, because, but I do still believe it really ruins yeah. part of Maul's arc. So regardless, hope exists. For all characters, it does. And that's why, um, for this episode, I believe the theme for me is hope. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't actually even think about the ties between Rise of Skywalker. But, yeah, like what it means for Palpatine to be resurrected versus Maul to be resurrected is a very interesting thing and what that says about hope and the chosen one and the prophecy and kind of the whole thesis of lucas's arc mm-hmm. it's very done. interesting i think it's, it's done the chosen one ended up doing nothing yeah i mean Which, he was a link in a chain the yeah. chosen one there do you know what it, what it means is there is no chosen one there's chosen ones yeah. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Anakin is no longer the one. There is no yeah. such thing as the prophecy it, as it, it exists in singularity. It's Which is fine. But, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and absolutely. And I think this actually... This leads a little bit of gray area to it. And I'd be interested in knowing what the intention was. Because even in this, you know, it, it's indicated that Luke is the chosen one but there's always been debate whether it's been Luke or Kenobi or Luke or Anakin. Yeah. And he even, uh, Kenobi even says, truth is what we make of it, um, which is a very Kenobiism, which yeah. I, I enjoy quite the a Ken- bit. The Kenobiisms over this entire episode, the entire fireside chat, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe we'll save, but is phenomenal. And it was something yeah. that makes this episode phenomenal. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting too because... He's talking to Ezra and he says, you know, you followed Maul here because you believed what you wanted to believe. When you heard the holocrons, you believed the holocrons were telling you the truth. But he could also be talking about that as an indictment of the entire Jedi Order if he had a little more perspective. Yeah. Um, where maybe there is no chosen one. Maybe this whole prophecy thing is just 
garbage. This was just like some Maybe. dude made it up and there yeah. was never a chosen one. But they don't really spell that out ever. Um, so I would, it would be interesting to get a little more clarity on what the prophecy is, what the chosen one actually is. Yeah, it's it's. I, I think you're right in like the maybe it doesn't. Correct me if I'm misquoting you, but like maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, I don't. I, it might not. I'm not sure. But um, it goes back for me. It goes back to okay, then bad storytelling. Mm, um, uh-huh. like a little bit of Chekhov's gun here, like introduce something that we're going to talk about is so important chosen mm-hmm. one um prophecy and then to ultimately go nowhere with it or give no finality or clarity well, no no clarity is fine yeah but to because i think absolute clarity in a prophecy maybe makes it not super good mm-hmm. but um just bad storytelling then if it's like well then you know if someone's going to kind of retcon your prophecy yeah and uh, you know, can you still say like, no, 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 Anakin was still the, the chosen one, but Ray yeah. finished the job. Yeah, totally. And I, I think not that it doesn't matter um, because I think it has to matter with how it was introduced one way or the other. But I think it could have been really interesting if the point was that there is no chosen one specifically and the Jedi was wrong. That needs to be worked out. You yeah, know, that needs I, to be yeah. kind of a thing if they want to move. I, I think it would be really cool if we learned that the Jedi were dogmatic and they were focused on this prophecy and this yeah. like adherence to the light side to a fault and that's why they fell. And if yeah. you did the work to show that, that would be such a cool and interesting story. But, you know, just they just didn't. I think you're right. And I think the prequels start to explore that by mm-hmm. showing Jedi in their ivory tower. And I think totally. The Last Jedi picks up on the thread of maybe the Jedi are wrong mm-hmm. and maybe we need to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and I think like, uh, and it's not because I don't like the movie, but it's because uh, I don't, but <laughs> um, I do think the rise of Skywalker then undoes a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, not because of where it went, but because it wasn't considerate of those, mm-hmm. these things. And you can't be, I don't know how you can be uh, within like, you know, a two hour movie. But yeah, um, if this is the final knot on it, if this is the final chapter, then obviously it said a lot. Yeah. Interesting. But we're here talking about our favorite, ep- <laughs> my favorite episode of all of Rebels. Yeah. And one of my favorite things in all of Star Wars. Yeah, um, I am stoked. So how do you feel? Let's jump to one of the interviews we recorded a little while ago. This interview is with Katie Horn, co-host of Wampus Lair. And one of the definitive scholars on Maul. Yeah, I mean, we can't like have... I, say, I actually say that uh, in complete seriousness. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, it would be a crime if we didn't have Katie on this episode. Yeah, if you don't know who Katie is... Shame on you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But not like as a as a total serious note, she is one of, I feel like, a definitive voice about Maul mm-hmm. and who Maul is. She's just, she can speak really well to him. Yep. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And you can even hear her talking with us this season about Holocrons of Fate. And she was also on last season. And you can check her out on Twitter at Dameron, where she is a hilarious Twitter follow. Mm-hmm. So do that and 
let's jump to it. All right, now for her thoughts, we've got Katie Horn from the Wampas Layer Podcast. What is up? Katie, how do you how do you feel about the Obi-Wan Mall fight scene, the final scene? I I feel a lot of things. I I kind of feel like Gollum with the one ring. It's <laughs> like she loves it, but she hates it so, and that's <laughs> why she's obsessed with it, you know? <laughs> that's, that's me. Like I, I would jump off a cliff and fall into lava for this episode, like, you know. <laughs> and uh, I hope what I hope you yell, I hate you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dave Filoni's like standing above me and I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> that is uh, love. Gosh. So yeah, I feel, I feel a lot about this episode. Um, it's particularly, yes, that final fight between Maul and Kenobi. Um, I honestly don't care to sit around talking about how cool it is that Dave Filoni has seen a samurai movie. You know, <laughs> I, I also don't care to sit around and speculate about who the chosen one really is. Um, Cause for me, the, the real catharsis and the real weight of this episode is about, you know, the, the emotional catharsis of, of these two characters, you know, the culmination of their journey together. Cause they really have kind of walked a journey together, you know, um, you know, of course, even though they, they hate each other and, and they would rather not <laughs> walk this journey at all, it it has it has been their path and seeing where it ends uh, it just gives me a lot of emotions. So for me, my interpretation of this moment is that the way I can describe it is that it, it's Jewel of the Fates Part 2. Mm. <laughs> this is, you know, um, this is going this fight is going to lay the foundation for the training of the chosen one you know again i said i don't care to talk about is luke the new <laughs> chosen one like who's really the chosen one whatever what i mean is this fight is going to lay the foundation for what kind of a teacher obi-wan is going to be moving forward you know mm. um that first duel of the fates you know, the chorus is singing out and they're singing in Sanskrit and, and what they're singing is basically, uh, you know, gibberish. You know, they're just they're singing like dreadful, you know, hurtful, you know, <laughs> words like that. Yeah. But what the inspiration that they're drawing from is a poem called. Um, oh, what is the poem called? I don't remember, but I do remember the line. The line that they're drawing from is um, under the shade of the tree, a fight most dread, but another rages inside the hedge. You know, the the clashing of the lightsabers is nothing compared to the emotional struggle happening inside of our characters, you know? Mm. Um, and so in this moment in particular, um, I think, you know, the duel of the fates is happening inside of Obi-Wan. And when he sees his master struck down, Qui-Gon Jinn, he can either fight as a Jedi should with knowledge and defense, you know, for, to protect the queen, or he can fight out of anger and mm -hmm. out of vengeance. You know, he can he can fight to destroy this person who killed his master, you know, this person he has every reason to hate. And that's what he does. You know, we can see Obi-Wan give into that. We can see how he like he snarls at Maul, yeah. you know, he makes those like really angry faces. And we know that he's not acting like a Jedi here. 
you know? And that kind of always bothered me. Like after I saw the Phantom Menace, I was like, how come Obi-Wan can give into the dark side? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like everybody else gets yelled at for giving into the dark side. But Obi-Wan very much gives into the dark side, you know, after Duel of the Fates. Because he's so and, dreamy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just because he's <laughs> cute, whatever. <laughs> um, and But then the Clone Wars gave me a satisfying answer in that, no, Obi-Wan's not allowed to give into the dark side. And when you cut down an enemy out of anger and hate, that enemy just rises again. Wow. You know? Yeah. So that's what that's how Maul was able to endure, you know, at least from Obi-Wan's perspective. Obi-Wan did not, you know, fight him as a Jedi should, and that allowed his evil to endure. And then from Maul's point of view, he was allowed to endure because of his own anger and rage and thirst for vengeance, all that, you know, wonderful, good dark side stuff <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, you know, allows you to keep going, um, you know, allowed him to defy death. And, you know, he... He, uh, you know, just became this thing twisted by evil. Uh, and so, you know, then we then we follow Obi-Wan and Maul along, and every time they meet, they they clash. You know, they, they never fight each other the way a Jedi should. You know, Obi-Wan never approaches Maul the way a Jedi should, and Maul is always just, you know, giving into his need for revenge. And he almost mm -hmm. always gets it, you'll notice. You know, like the first time he confronts Obi-Wan after being resurrected, he wins handily <laughs> and then beats him up, you know, beats yeah. the crap out of him. Um, and then, of course, he gets his revenge on Obi-Wan again by by killing Satine. You know, Maul is always winning, always giving in to his dark side, you know, thirst for revenge, but it's never enough. You know, so how is this cycle ever going to ever going to break? And we finally get to this confrontation where... Obi-Wan is in a place, finally, he's in a place to look at Maul and be like, I don't want to kill you. I, you know, he's let go of his anger and his, you know, his own need to strike down Maul for killing Qui-Gon Jinn you know, and for killing Satine, everything Maul's done to him to this point. You know, Obi-Wan can look at him and be like, I am not going to follow that dark path and, you know, seek revenge on you. But then Maul makes that direct threat against Luke. And so... Uh, Obi-Wan does act as a Jedi. He's like, I'm going to protect this boy, you know, mm. knowledge and defense. Mm -hmm. And so when Obi-Wan cuts him all down, it's not like, oh, he just cut him really good this time. That's what, <laughs> you know, Maul yeah. lived before because Obi-Wan didn't cut him good enough. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. He cut him. He struck at him as a Jedi should. And then from Maul's perspective, when that blow lands, and he realizes that Obi-Wan is more than a rat in the desert. You know, he hasn't deteriorated. He hasn't put himself out here just to hide away. No, he's protecting something. Mm -hmm. He's at the top of his game. And Obi-Wan wouldn't do that for anything less than the Chosen One. And Maul asks him, is it the Chosen One? And whether or not Luke is or isn't, Obi-Wan says yes. And Maul is able to believe that whether, you know, Darth Sidious likes it or not, the force is going to be balanced. You know, the, the chosen one is going to make the galaxy right again. You know, and Maul thinks about that, says he will avenge us. All this horrible wrong in the galaxy is going to be put right. But Maul's never going to get to see it. So he dies with exactly what he was looking for. He dies with hope, that mm. thing that he went into the holocron looking for. And he dies with nothing more or less than hope. You know, he has no assurances, no promises, right? He's looking at a future that he's never going to get to see, but he believes in it. He has that hope. And for Maul, that's enough. 
you know, it's finally enough, you know, that he can let himself die. And so I, I think this moment is very beautiful because both Obi-Wan and Maul finally got what they needed. It wasn't what they wanted, but it's what they needed. <laughs> but I also hate it because I love Maul so much and I hate that he had to, you know, he had to go this way. You know, I hate that his story yeah. had to be a tragic one, but it's, it's very beautiful and, and I appreciate it a lot. I'm glad it's here. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love that point. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. He definitely, he certainly cut him enough when he sliced him in half the first right. time. Right, exactly. That's a really good point. And yeah. also, I just looked it up. I didn't know about the poem, but it originated mm-hmm. from the medieval Welsh poem, Cad Gadow. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, really the, interesting. Isn't it called, like, the Battle of the Trees? Like, seriously, yeah. it, it has a name like that. It's kind of, yeah. you know, kind of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Right. So yeah, oh, if I talk about this episode for too long, I'll just start crying and just blubbering <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> oh, well, we appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. That was really fascinating. Absolutely, you guys. Yeah. All right, amazing. Thank you, Katie, for your words of wisdom. Yes, absolutely. All right, so how we're going to chat this through, Let's we're going to chat through the rest of this episode is mm-hmm. we're going to do it in three big chunks. We have Ezra getting to Kenobi, everything it takes to get there, which is mm-hmm. a large chunk of the episode. The chat by the fireside with Kenobi and Maul's arrival, and then the final duel through the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So, so why don't we start with that first chunk, everything that has Ezra leading up to finding Kenobi. Yeah, yeah. There's some kind of interesting stuff here. Um, especially, you know, not a ton ton happens. Um, no. But behind the scenes, there was some kind of interesting stuff. And I think this is a good time to talk about this, is that this episode was originally supposed to be 35 minutes long. Yeah. Um, And there was a ton of stuff that they were going to put in there. Like Kanan was supposed to be one of the was supposed to be there instead of Chopper. Mm. Also, um, there was going to be like another creature that was kind of guiding Ezra the whole time. And there was a whole subplot with like Hera and Kanan back on the back at the base. All this stuff. Really glad they didn't do any of that. Yeah. And I, Dave Filoni said that there is more, there are more cutscenes for this episode than any other episode because they had to pare it down to 21 minutes. And I think it really strengthened the episode. That makes me um, so happy they did that. Yeah, the sparseness of it is so, so nice. And, like, it's just succinct, and you're focusing on a very tight, cool... Again, this is an emotional story. I think we talked about this, about the plot being moved by the character development and the emotions more so than anything else. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, down to even... I was noticing that the way this stuff was shot was so cool um it's kind of a different style like there's so many wide open shots in the mm-hmm. desert like the very first one where we see maul just standing there shouting out to the to the sky and it's just a giant empty shot and i feel like it really lends this weight of hopelessness to the mm-hmm. episode where you kind of feel what maul is going through i don't know there's just like a very masterful touch to this episode if i can say so yeah i think 
yeah, I, I agree. And I was, I, I love that you, t- you, you touch on like a lot mm-hmm. of the wide angles here. Something I think, um, that accomplishes really well in film is like, you get this, like, I don't want to get too deep on it, but you get like this sense of like the sublime, like mm-hmm. the sublimity of like this desert space or like space itself. And I think about Stanley Kubrick and 2001 space odyssey and mm, yeah. how so much of the moments are communicated through very wide angle shots and wide open spaces. And, um, yeah, this kind of long stretching thing. And I know that he was very intentionally doing that to create sublimity in, um, kind of this sense of, something greater out there yeah. and i think this episode does that and these shots do that mm-hmm. totally and um one of the things they were going to add into this episode was they were going to have flashbacks um to kind of mm. literally show maul what he's haunted by um mm. so it was gonna Probably have didn't do that yeah they were gonna have duchess satine in there and then oh, also that makes sense a lot of savage Press was going to be in this episode hmm. um I'm glad they didn't yeah. um, because good storytelling to me doesn't need that. And often mm-hmm. when stories do that, it's an omission that they didn't do enough work for you <laughs> to, yeah. to get you there. You know what I mean? It's like, sorry, we didn't, we didn't do a great job. Like here's some, like here's some filler. It's like in game of Thrones season eight, like there was a clear omission of that when it was yeah. like, okay, people aren't going to get the Khaleesi is like, losing it so let's um god what was it it was like the last time of game of thrones and then they like did this highlight of like last time of game of thrones yeah. and they added for the first time they edited a scene where they put all these voices of people talking to her as she's like walking away from somebody um mm. of that like is supposed to indicate like see she's losing her mind since like it was like clearly the story writers being like sorry we didn't do enough work for you we're gonna do it all right now yeah um, so all this to say, I'm glad they went with this because I do think they did the work and we didn't need that. Yeah. I think, um, there's a quote from Pablo Hidalgo. He said the episode's so stripped down by eliminating the non-essentials, it makes the core story even stronger. And I think that's really true. I agree. And I think logistically exactly what you're talking about. Dave Filoni said in an interview, I think this was a celebration last year. They did like a rebels retrospective and they talked about this episode. And he said that they ended up cutting all of the Savage Press stuff because he is saying, you know, it, it seems strange to think this, you know, but if you watched all of Clone Wars, you know who this guy is and the importance of it. Yeah. But a lot of people didn't watch Clone Wars, so they didn't, they literally couldn't fit him in and give it the weight that it deserved and explain who this person was for new viewers yeah for any of it to make sense and so i think they made the right choice to just not muddle it up and just just cut him out even though that would have been cool because i think savage press is a cool character i think it would have been cool i think it was smart to go with less is more Mm -hmm. here and i think it's bold and i appreciate it and i don't think i would have liked the one of the things i like about this episode is they get to it And um, I almost find everything Ezra's, you know, I like Ezra being bait. I think that's really good. (laughs) Um, It's a smart way to use him in this episode. It's like really, really smart. I I, I can't help but think this is like some of the best writing in 
so much of this episode is some of the best writing in Star mm-hmm. Wars to me. It's like so impressive. Yeah. Um, but it's like the parts I'm least interested are in this first third of like yeah, him totally. getting him getting there. Yeah. And speaking of something else that you you mentioned, I didn't know this that um, Maul's resurrection was actually George Lucas's idea. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I assumed it was a felonism, um, but Savage Press was really influenced Lucas. So they brought Savage Press back without specifically knowing that Maul was going to come back. And then George Lucas saw that character and was like, oh my God, I have, <laughs> this is the exact quote that Dave Filoni said, I've got an idea and you're going to love it. <laughs> um, and he said that they should bring back Maul. And it was kind of a thing that like, it's like, oh, how's that work? I thought Maul was dead. And George Lucas was like, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And fine. I, yeah. I, I like it only because we mm-hmm. get like this sweet moment. Um, and he's fun in Clone Wars. Like he's yeah, really totally. fun in Clone Wars. So it it works. It's just like um, I I think kind of what I talked about in my theme and hope and like yeah. how he is like kind of coming back not whole and not as a whole mm. being is why um for me at least it's like so much of this moment is about like that kind of redemptive, like, well, let's finish that please. Totally. And I think it's, we talked about this in a previous, previous episode where, you know, you can suspend your disbelief a lot easier if you are, if it's serving the story, Yeah. because it was, it would be very easy to just be like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is Maul still alive? Why does he have spider legs? This is stupid. But what they ended up doing with Maul enriched the story and the universe so much mm-hmm. that I think most people are like, oh, that's where he's back, whatever. And like can kind of just get past that and really enjoy the cool stuff. And I think Star Wars is better for it. And this is a prime yeah. example of that. Yeah. Um, the lead up to kind of the fire start, there's some weird, there's some interesting things in there. Um, mm-hmm. The message from Obi-Wan, I, let's note that this is James Arnold Taylor in the beginning yep. talking it, it's not him at the end and i think it's really smart that james arnold taylor didn't do both um yeah. because the work of whoever the second voice actor is which i don't know steven stanton okay um oh cool i yeah. think he sounds so much like new hope obi-wan yeah. it really brings me back there so james arnold taylor up front um and kind of doing this broken record um thing which Mm -hmm. is interesting and again um suspending disbelief if it serves the story i was a little i forgot a lot of what happened in the first third of this episode until i just rewatched it Mm. and the whole like holocron pieces being like a weird floating compass that points its way at a mall or whatever oh the wayfinders yeah exactly Uh, I feel like that's so easy to roll your eyes at, but it again, like it, it serves the story and it's easy to suspend your disbelief. I don't know if you had feelings about how that whole mechanism worked, but I thought it was interesting and I didn't really think about it and or care to think about it. I just yeah. believed it was like you, which is I think you can do with some things and be like, I don't know, these things have force stuff and they're being manipulated by a force user. Cool. I, I don't need an explanation. Totally. And I think it's better of them to not explain that. Uh-oh. Yep. For nerds like us, and we're like, wow, well, how does that technology work? It's yeah, like, cool. Totally. I, just, I just believe it. Yep. I will also say about this lead up, I found it. This is such a nitpick, but I was <laughs> really uncomfortable with the fact that the Gorfus were able, and I call them Gorfus because 
Sand people is racist. Yeah. Tuscan Raiders is reductive to one moment <laughs> of their history. Yeah. And uh, Gorfus is their species. So I call them Gorfus. Yep. So, Shout out to Star Wars, Star Wars Minute for the deep dive. Oh, yeah. That's totally where we got that. Thank yeah. you, Star Wars Minute. Um, I thought it was uncomfortable that they so easily, and I'm like, is it because they're strong, but broke the window of the A-Wing? <laughs> then I was like, well, I don't want to be flying that thing then if it's yeah. like if it's that easy to break the window. Like you can just hit it with what I'm assuming is a piece of wood. Yeah. I don't know. I did not like that. Yeah. I think they are metal, so I will at least give it that. Like the gaffy sticks or whatever they're called. But oh, yeah, okay. I totally know what you mean. I don't know. There was know. also an interesting like some someone was like some nerd was getting mad about that because their guns, I forgot what they're called. They're like called like scatter shots or something like oh, that. Yeah. They were shooting blaster bolts in this episode, but they actually shoot projectiles. Wow. So, oh. <laughs> it's interesting because I thought the noises those made were so cool in this episode. Yeah. And I also think the animation's amazing with anything mm. with dust on it. I thought I think it's so good in this episode. Yeah. Oh, that, that reminds me. There's another cool thing that when you look at that episode or that part of Maul kind of yelling at the sky. Yeah. I think it's really easy to see the passage of time for Kenobi because, you know, he's, he looks older, has the gray and the beard and everything like that. Um, but you can tell the passage of time for Maul as well because not only is he just dustier and dirtier and has a cane, but if you look closely, chunks of his legs are missing. They've started, his legs have started to fall apart. Mm. So I thought that was like just a very cool, subtle touch. Yeah, I I like that. I yeah. sorry, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, the difference in Maul and Kenobi's aging, and which I think is, you know, it's like the the villain's not leveling up, but the hero is mm-hmm. in this situation. Um, and I I think so much of that. I'm thinking about a back again about hope. Yeah, I'm looking to tie in. My oh yeah, more. but also I think Kenobi has hope. And Maul is still very much searching for it. Hence, his obsessive like, will he, will they avenge us? Like, what are you like? It's Kenobi has a little bit more of a well-defined hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It, it okay. seems to have aged him a little more gracefully, rather than the vengeful kind of bloodthirsty hope that um, or obsession that Maul has. Yeah. Okay. You just opened up a really interesting door that I want to I want to chat about. But before we do that, let's get let's let's listen to a call real quick. Another friend of the pod. Oh my gosh, such a lovely person, Jonah Marie Masias. Oh, almost the honorary co-host. Yep. She gave us a call. The host of the Geeky Bubble podcast and the Wookie Gunner herself, also co-host of Rebels Rebels for three episodes this season while Mike was away. Let's listen to what Jonah Marie called about. Wow. Hi, this is Jonah Marie of the Geeky Bubble podcast. I know everyone focuses on the fight between Obi-Wan and Maul, but one of my favorite things about Twin Sons is Ezra's journey. This is where he learns to bring his focus down from the big picture to the tasks that are within his reach. Ezra has such a big heart and his main goal has been to find a way to get rid of the Sith 
and protect the galaxy. That's a lot for one person to handle, but that's what he was aiming for. He needed to be redirected onto his own path, and I'm glad it was Obi-Wan who did it because Obi-Wan does the same thing with Luke later on. In a lot of ways, the desert represents Ezra's mentality at that moment. He's lost in this vast, unforgiving place, just like he's being overwhelmed with this self-assigned task of saving the galaxy. His desperation in the desert was going to end him and Chopper, just like how if he continued to pursue this path, it would eventually put him and his friends in danger. It was the perfect setting for Ezra's turning point, and I wouldn't want it any other way. So the next time you watch Twin Sons, put yourself in Ezra's shoes and try to see things from his perspective. That's the best way to learn because as we know, when you don't learn and you don't grow as a person, you end up putting yourself in the same boat as Maul, a person who refused to grow himself and ended up using the same fighting moves he used in The Phantom Menace. And look where that got him. (laughs) So anyway, Twin Sons is an awesome episode and definitely goes down as one of my favorites. It's a reminder to slow down, reanalyze the situation, and only bite off what you can chew. Until next time, may the force be with you. Uh, So nice. Thank you so much, Jonah Marie. We always love having you on. Amazing as per usual. Yeah. So you brought up something really fun and it's the difference in hope between the two. And I like the term you said about how the the hero leveled up and the villain didn't. Yeah. I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit, but I think that's such an interesting concept in this episode. Uh yeah, I mean it's it's kind of as simple as that as Kenobi used his situation. I mean, it it's perfectly embodied in his speech of Kenobi is like, look what you have become. And, mm-hmm. uh, or Maul says, look what you've become. And Kenobi replies with, look what I have risen above. Um, yeah. And so it's just like perspective. It's like, well, that that's the difference here is like, yeah. I have a myopic view and you're still very much caught in this um, obsessive. Na- you, he, he, he's stuck in the moment. He's stuck in the moment of his death. Yeah, and absolutely. He's still back there. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, he, Obi-Wan says in A New Hope, you know, if if Vader strikes him down, he will rise again more powerful than ever. Um, But in this episode, it's so clear that the power that Kenobi is talking about is like he it's his power is steeped in empathy and forgiveness and like a belief in something larger than himself. Yeah. Even larger than the whole rebellion, because Obi-Wan Kenobi is just chilling on this planet where the rebellion could have probably used him. But Mm -hmm. he has this mission that is bigger and looks at the long-term goals of the entire galaxy in yeah. such a different way than anything that um, Maul is doing right now. Yeah. And seeing the difference between those two people, because I think you were saying, you know, what what is Kenobi doing this whole time when he's on Tatooine? We, we've had it filled out a little bit in some of the different stories and things like that, but... Um, you know, he's meditating, he's talking to Qui-Gon. He's yeah, the dude up. is literally just doing yoga and fucking force. Like, he <laughs> yeah. looks great. Like, n- no wonder why. Yeah, and what's Small doing during this time? He's running around serving his own interests. He's not really focusing on any of the bigger picture. And so yeah. I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about the actual fight, but, you know, one of the things that keeps being brought up is the fact that Maul tries the same exact lightsaber move to the one he used 
to kill Qui-Gon Jinn. He tries that on Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan is ready for it, and this time prevails. And I think that's a very literal translation of, like, Maul is just using the same tricks, and Obi-Wan has grown. Yeah, yeah, he's, Yeah. he's, he's so clearly leveled. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because maybe it shows even more perspective because obviously time has passed, so... Obi-Wan's body is aging. His body's probably physically failing him. We can see that in A New Hope, that he's not doing the flipping, you know, super acrobatic lightsaber fighting that he did back in the day. Um, And it feels to me like... He doesn't need to, yeah. Yeah, he's strengthening his mind. He's strengthening his spirituality. He's strengthening all these other things because he knows that his body is failing him and that leads him to be so prepared for what's coming. Whereas Maul, it feels like he's just a force. He's just a he's just a bull yeah. going through it, and he's like, I don't care if my legs are falling apart. I don't care if like this is happening. If I can't walk without a cane, like I'm just gonna get through it, and that leads to his destruction. Yeah, and 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 you see that, and you see that in the body language of Maul, how anxious he is, how many times he he is constantly reshuffling his step. Very, of course, we're gonna talk about it. Very mm-hmm. um, Seven Samurai. I mean, this is one of the reasons I love this is because I am a massive samurai movie fan. Um, and of course Dave Filoni, like they, it's almost a one-to-one, um, between seven samurai and, yeah, uh, the swordman's like his introductory duel. And you can even see Maul If you watch those movies and look at Maul and how he's like very antsy, he keeps changing his stance and, and he is the one who's going to strike first and Obi-Wan is just watching him and using his mental ability to be like, okay, I'm going to switch to this stance now. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's going to come in like this. I'm going to switch to this stance. As opposed to when they first met in Naboo, um, Obi-Wan rushed in. He was, yeah. still, he was still successful, by the way, but mm-hmm. he rushed in and the duel took longer. Um, it does not take long because Obi-Wan is... Again, he one shots him because he's yeah. like, "Okay, I know, I know how you're going to come in. I know what I have to do." Absolutely. Um, and I think yeah. um, in the Rebels Recon, Dave Filoni kind of touches on that, and we're we're kind of bleeding into the fight, but um, yeah, it's hard hard not to. Probably, I know it's it's so interesting. Um, but Dave Filoni touches on that. He said that if you really think about it, that Maul and Obi Wan have fought so many times, and when you when you go up against someone so many times, you start to learn their moves. You yeah. Know? I play basketball, and when I play it against the same kind of people, I know, you know, this guy likes to go left, and he likes to shoot from this part of the court. And Do you so, really think about that when you play basketball? Yeah, absolutely. That's so yeah, interesting. I, I, I yeah. don't think I don't have that level of competence, and it's probably what I could use when I'm playing. <laughs> like when I'm playing, I play like soccer and hockey, and when I do that, yeah. I don't consider those. Yeah, um, and he also said that, you know, when you talk to really good sword fighters, they say that fights don't last long. You would think that if there are two really good f- sword fighters going against each other, then they would just parry everything and it would just be a long, drawn-out thing, kind of like oh, yeah. the long Clone Wars-type lightsaber fights. But in real life, it's more of a chess match. Yeah. You're trying to surprise your opponent. You're trying to like figure Absolutely. out if they shift their legs slightly in one way, you can get that one little advantage and just poke it in and get them in that in that and that's just exactly what they're doing. They're measuring each other up. They're doing the mental math before the actual physical fight, which I think is awesome. Um it's it's 
a completely unique lightsaber battle, which we haven't seen in a very long time. Which is, it's both, it works on so many levels. It works on, mm-hmm. like, the actual um, story level, but on, like, it's also from a viewer perspective, how do you make a battle, like, better than, okay, the task at hand is how do you make one better than their battle at Naboo, which I would argue is an amazing, yeah. um, you know, how do you how do you make it better than this? How do you make it more acrobatic and crazy than this? How do you do? And it's <laughs> like, I love that they're like, well, maybe we just don't. Maybe, um, and I, it's like, I think they did a great service to themselves by not trying that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I want to jump to another interview we recorded. Cool. This one I am very stoked about. I've been trying to get this guy on our podcast for a very long time, so I'm super stoked that he joined us. He's so busy, so even if he could just carve out a couple minutes to talk to us about this episode, this is Dave Gonzalez. He is new to the podcast. Um, he, You might know him from the Storm podcast, which is a lost rewatch podcast. They so used sick. to be called Storm of Spoilers. They were huge in the Game of Thrones yeah. game. Um, he's also a founder of Fighting the War Room podcast and a contributor to Thrillist and Polygon. You can find him on Twitter at DA7E. Super thoughtful guy about Star mm-hmm. Wars. Yeah. I I really love wa- listening to this guy talk about Star Wars. So I love Lost. Him. I love Lost so much. Yeah, the Storm podcast, Storm Spoilers, all three of the of the hosts on there are just so fantastic. It's It's one of my favorite podcasts, so please check it out. And without further ado, let's get to our talk with Dave Gonzalez. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic because we're here for the best of Star Wars. The best of Star Wars. Yeah, so many times you sign on to the internet or you, you know, go into like some Star Wars community thing and you get some okay Star Wars and that's fine. (laughs) But today everybody gets to have the best of Star Wars, which is like two sons which like my section of this podcast starts off with a soliloquy which is one of my favorite star wars things so like uh the the degree that the show um can go between uh you know family entertainment and then serious subject matter that pays homage to star wars is absolutely amazing and that's why you know re-watching twin sons is always good and i feel like it's a good introductory episode to people who are like really into star Wars. Mm. Uh, the weird thing about animated star Wars is the clone wars is good, but the clone wars is something that builds on you. Mm. So the more you get invested in all those characters and all the various storylines, uh, especially Maul, but then also Ahsoka, like following those through years and then building up this better version of Anakin than what was on screen and this better version of Obi-Wan. Well, not a better version of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan on screen is fine. Um, But, like, building out those characters, there's not, like... If if you're trying to get somebody into Clone Wars, you can't be like, watch these few episodes, because it's, like, some are battle Mm -hmm. episodes and some are lore episodes. With Rebels, I feel like I'd be like, watch Two Sons. It's not going to give away anything about what the series is about. You don't have to, you know, you don't really need to know where the holocrons are coming from because it starts off with the Obi-Wan message from revenge of the Sith that, uh, we just see play out in animated form. So this is like a really good introduction because there's so many callbacks to a new hope, uh, visually and otherwise, Uh, obviously you have the sand people and then this, these perfect, uh, Obi-Wan moments, um, that if you're into the lore, for instance, and, think that maybe rebels was an offshoot that was more about marketing 
uh, new Star Wars than necessarily about the full extent of Star Wars. At this point in lore, Obi-Wan's been on Tatooine and has been communicating mm. with Qui-Gon Jinn, who has been able to take full corporeal form finally. Uh, I think the um, A Different Point of View series of short stories was the first one to allude that Qui-Gon has actually advanced in his Force knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not only is his uh, wizened uh, demeanor, is Obi-Wan's wizened demeanor in this episode, like peak Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, like even down to the point where he basically has a different, a certain point of view speech to Ezra where he's like, the holocrons <laughs> were true to you. Truth is like a malleable thing. And I'm like, Oh, classic <laughs> Obi-Wan. But then when Maul shows up and not only does he like manage to best him by just being a calm Jedi master and not letting his emotions take over, but they recreate the Obi-Wan Maul saber fight. And I always like to think that they've spent like, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn's ghost and Obi-Wan's ghost, they've spent time learning how to force ghosts together in this little hovel. <laughs> and he's like, you know, the one thing is I never expected him to just punch me in the face in this elegant lightsaber battle. And Obi-Wan has now learned that that's, that's the counter move. And Maul has been through a lot since we last saw him uh, in The Phantom Menace, but he hasn't learned anything new. And that's like the great mm. tragedy of the character. Uh, and so that's what I also think make he's he comes into an antagonist and then in obi-wan's arms we really get the full tragedy when we realize that he was after vengeance his entire life and everybody who was supposed to be on his side left him and he doesn't know any more than anybody else except maybe palpatine that that's the way of the sith he had to learn that through the hard road and maul you know he's he was a character that came about and didn't really have a character beyond the look and a really awesome lightsaber battle. And then in clone wars got built out and then in rebels, I think really solidified. And I wish that, you know, solo had a future so that we could see what connects uh mall from clone wars to uh, rebels a little bit more. Mm. But if we don't ever, I feel like this is a perfect ending to his arc that ties him into the original series and into the completeness of Obi-Wan as a Jedi master. So that by the time Luke runs into him in a new hope, he is ready to pass on everything to the chosen one. He's, you know, accomplished all of his goals. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful little episode that has a bunch of uh, visual poetry and uh, opportunities, both by Chopper and Maul's madness for people (laughs) to have a lot of, talking to themselves soliloquies and like arch star Wars. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. There's so many good points. Yeah. It's, I feel like it sometimes, especially in star Wars can be a, a cliche to say visual poetry, but I think in this episode, it is not at all. It is one of the episodes where a hundred percent visual poetry and actual poetry being brought in just um, (laughs) in dialogue is, it's it's pretty phenomenal, and I it's it's this is rebels. This is to me Filoni at their peak. Uh, I'm just kind of firing it on all cylinders. I can't. Yeah, it's like it's a kind of awe inspiring episode, especially in light of some of the history we learn about Obi Wan through the comics. Um, you know, through those supplementary materials, it's it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah. It's so of a piece, and then like the last shot, or, or, especially for something that's animated, like uh, all the supplemental materials are great, and the, especially the comics. You know, you get to do a little bit more with expression, and then in novels, you get to be in somebody's head a little bit. But uh, Rebels, I was really worried when Rebels first came on uh, that it may be hewed too close to Clone Wars in a way that would sort of limit the amount of expression that like modern animation can bring. Hmm. I had no idea they were going to go as far as cell shaded animation for the next <laughs> animated series. But um, this episode is amazing because I still find myself like that last scene. I don't, I, I think I know what Obi-Wan's thinking, but then they end on that shot of little Luke running, which is absolutely beautiful. And oh they turn gosh. back and Obi-Wan touches his beard and he has like a different expression. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what is he thinking? And then it's cut to title. So that's like, you're at, you're out of the episode. You get to try to, you know, figure out what Obi-Wan was thinking uh, in this moment, because it's like he has a whole bunch of things where he seems to know what the Force's plan is, and it's Luke. And he says to Ezra, like, you're in a place that you never should have been. But it's almost like seeing Ezra and Ezra's moment where it's like the Holocron says that you're the one. Like, why aren't you out here with us? And then he's like looking at this kid and realizing he's gambled his entire life on the Force. And even there, like, I, I don't... I. The way I described his character earlier makes you think that he shouldn't have any doubt, but that one shot is just right down the middle mm. to open to interpretation. So again, much more complex character work than I initially thought was possible in seasons season one of this show, which was a lot of character setting. But I, you know, maybe I just didn't learn the lesson of Clone Wars that I tried to just <laughs> impart on everybody. Just like let the characters build out because yeah, yeah peak Filoni is great Filoni. Yeah. yeah. Let the characters build out and skip season one. That's, yeah. my, that's my philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Thematically, I love the idea too that Maul has gone on a journey, but I never really thought mm. that he hasn't really learned anything. That's no, a really good point. He, he hasn't. I mean, it, I mean, it, and I know we have been debating this, but I, I still pretty firmly believe he is at it's a hundred percent. He's an example of arrested development. He starts with this bloodlust for Jedi's mm -hmm. and more than actually not just Jedi's. It's, it's for, a, a worthy opponent maybe it's like almost a, a fight you know or, or a challenge or yeah, someone like to that take bro on. a bar just wants to fight yeah, yeah. well and he doesn't have a macro goal so mm -hmm. his uh, his goal is the same he he's always after vengeance no matter yeah. what the political landscape is and yeah. like even the jedi and the sith is greater you know organizations uh, change the focus of what the point is uh, as a, in a galaxy-wide scale. So it really is like Maul's driven, but the fire that lights him is vengeance. But then even when he's successful and, you know, is apparently head of Black Sun for a little bit or, mm -hmm. you know, is hanging out uh, waiting for Ezra to unlock a Sith holocron for him and seems to, like, have his shit together with all his artifacts, like, it, that isn't enough for him. Obi-Wan no. says here, like he's always been obsessed with like control and possession and you can't, can't dominate the force that way. Unfortunately. Mm, yeah. The other point I liked, which I never thought about is this being a good entry point. Cause for me, I'm like, this is so good. Like I want to, all right, we're going to build to this. It's going to be really like, okay, you're going to love rebels, but you have to wait for this. Cause it's going to be like awesome. So don't spoil it. But then it's like, you know what? This actually is such a cool, complete story. It has good thread lines to all these other things that if you like star Wars, it's in this episode and it's a really good representation of how the animation can be at its best, which I think it gets dismissed a lot. It's just being like, Oh yeah, it's like that kitty stuff. 
And, you know, it is for kids, obviously, but I think this shows kind of the range of Rebels that I love so much. Yeah. And then I also would like to say in my continuing argument that R2-D2 is a little dick that (laughs) when uh, when Ezra's like, you know, you follow the ridge like C-3PO did to R2-D2, Chopper decides to go with him because Chopper is not that much of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, do you remember when I used to take a stand that R2-D2 was incompetent and the worst character in Star (laughs) Wars and then a guest like... (laughs) Put me in my place, the stereo. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah. I can't have that stand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just withholding. Yeah. He's he's withholding for no reason, which I mean, maybe he has some sort of arch reason. He was the original, you know, narrator of the series and maybe still is. I don't know who who knows how much the Lucasfilm uh, archive needs to expand to keep r2d yeah i keep thinking there's going to be like a star wars land edition where it's like r2d2 plays the hits oh <laughs> and like little clips and stuff and you know hopefully they'll have a clip of two two cents yeah so good i i, I have to bring this up because i finally found it it's it's been it's been bugging me as we've been compiling all these awesome guests and talking about twin sons one of the reasons i love this episode and this is specifically the battle scene, if you can call it that, between Maul and Obi-Wan, is it is so Kurosawa. And I was I finally narrowed it down to the exact film it's Kurosawa from. I don't know if you guys have seen Sanjuro. It's like the 1962 no. Kurosawa film. You have to watch the final fight scene. It is, <laughs> it almost feels shot by shot, this final showdown. Um, kind of the one swing, like the stare off one mm-hmm. swing and battle it's, and, uh, I feel like it's like a perfect homage to, and just the Lucas. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And then as per usual, because we live in a weird world of media reconsumption and remixing you bringing up the Kurosawa one strike makes me think about the kill bill samurai sword oh, one strike yeah. ending. And which is also like similarly dealt with. So I'm sure all three of those things are connected in the giant cinematic language, which is great because one's a cartoon that was on Disney XD. I know. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you so much. That was really great. Um, Where can people find you? What would you like people to check out? Uh, You could check out my work at thrillist.com, polygon.com, and follow me on Twitter at DA7E, where I tweet out all the new places you can find me. That is beautiful. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you, guys. Twin Sons. Twin Sons, best Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again to Dave. So thoughtful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Yeah. hopefully we can get him on for another episode because we we love chatting with him. Yeah. Um, So let's just, let's jump to the campfire scene. This, This cozy little scene. I, this episode is cool. This episode is, I'm um, sorry, it's cool. That's a really good analysis. Done. Is um, this episode cool, Mike? Yeah. Um, something I really like about this episode and I think makes it really compelling is there's a clear, not all Rebels episodes build up and mm-hmm. um, like kind of follow the traditional story arc of, you know, rising action to climax to anti climax, like to. And I, I think this episode does it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this campfire moment because it's totally the calm before the storm. 
it's kind of there's this chaotic build to it. And then I love the kind of quieting of this moment. And I would say this really, really good, um, borderline perfect, I I will say, um, kind of Star Wars wisdom. Something I know Chris Sanchez, our D&D co-host loves, is the wisdom of Yoda. And like that's something he really loves about (laughs) Star Wars and all those kind of snippets. I think everything that Obi-Wan says here is Mm -hmm. worthy of um, like recognition on that kind of level where I think Mm. it's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. When... Obi-Wan first kind of meets Ezra. He says, when you have your strength, I will help you on your way, which I think thematically is kind of fun because it's, you know, literally like I'll help you get off this planet, like get out of my, get get off my lawn. Um, but it's also, you know, Obi-Wan is the vessel for Ezra to learn these lessons, which I think is interesting. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons too why they cut Kanan from the episode is because they wanted yeah. to make it very oh, clearly like this is Ezra's story. Well, it's Ezra's story, and I think putting Kanan next to, I think juxtaposing Kanan with Obi Wan <laughs> makes it, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it, you know, that would be interesting. It's hard. That's a tough one because yeah. I think it maybe hurts Kanan a little bit mm. because you want someone to be the wisdom giver here. Yeah, and that's Kanan's true. traditionally that's that source, so I think it's smart to be like, okay, like let's not even yeah. anything Kanan says. It's it's just not going to be as good. Yep. Or we we or we don't want to taint his character, so like let's not put them in the same room. Yeah. And then so there's an Obi Wan Kenobiism that I was a little bit a little I'd just be I'd be interested in knowing what your interpretation of this is. And he says he's talking to Ezra, what you need you already have. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you seem to be letting it all go. Yeah. What does it? What does that mean to you? What? How do you interpret that? Because I was a little lost on that. Um, I I think it has to. I think it's the ghost crew. Mm. Oh, okay. I, 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 I like th- that. I think it's kind of like you you have like, and like that's everything for for him right now. That's his mm-hmm. family. That's his source of hope. Um, like if what Ezra is pursuing in this moment is bringing Obi Wan back to fight the rebellion, he doesn't need like to build the rebellion and fight the Empire. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need that. He's got that all uh, with his family and the Ghost Crew with. You know what? Everything they're building, they've got it all. Obi Wan's not going to turn the tide on that, um, because he's going to turn the tide in a much bigger way. Mm, I like that. That's great. Um, yeah, let's let's jump to another quick call, real quick. Um, this is a fun one. If you're uh, Brandon Wainerty from Talking Bay ninety four, mm-hmm. he talked to us in season two about the episode future of the force really fun podcast dives into some of the behind the scenes stuff and talks to some cool creators and star wars and things like that he's it was a really fun episode to have him on and we are already chatting to have him back on again so let's hear what brandon has to say hey rebels rebels crew it's brandon from talking bay 94 just calling in to talk a little bit about how much I love Twin Sons. My personal experience with Twin Sons is actually uh, a little embarrassing, which was I was disappointed. The first time I ever saw the episode, I was sitting on my couch. I was excited for this 
highly hyped, anticipated showdown between Darth Maul and Obi-Wan to end it all. And of course, when you get to that final scene on Tatooine between the two, it took me a long time. It took me reading and kind of figuring out that, oh, it is him reverting to Qui-Gon. It's him understanding the mistake that his master had made. And it's that bridging of the Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan, to then the Ben Kenobi we see in A New Hope that really tied that episode together. It also gave me a huge amount of appreciation, more than I already had, of Dave Filoni himself and what he really understands as Star Wars. What he was able to do with that one-note Darth Maul character that we first saw in Phantom Menace, and then really transforming him, really shaping him into this anti-hero, working side-by-side with Lucas in both The Clone Wars and beyond, is is inspiring and, and a really interesting way to look at everything that we've seen before. And so... Twin Suns to me is kind of a relearning experience as, as a Star Wars fan and understanding even more heavily what it takes to have a good Star Wars story and a good Star Wars character. So I love it. It took me a second, but I love it. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Hopefully we talk again real soon. See y'all later. Sweet. Thanks again, Brandon. Check him out on Twitter at TalkingBay94 and check out his podcast. Um, so yeah, I think one of the interesting things you brought up before was the choice to go with Steven Stanton versus James Arnold Taylor, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting because you do really think about, uh, James Arnold Taylor being kind of one of the quin- quintessential Obi-Wan Kenobis. Um, but I don't know. It came off really well for me. How do you feel about that? Yeah, really well. And I think it's really smart. I love James Arnold Taylor. um, Mm -hmm. And I do think he is, I associate him with Clone Wars. Um, I think this works for a couple reasons. Um, I think that when Obi-Wan tells Ezra that he shouldn't be here on Tatooine and that Maul's has basically been altering events, Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of a lampshading of the fact that this episode is adding bits of established canon of the films. It's like, mm. a, we shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a, We shouldn't be here on this planet doing this, but yeah. we are. And so I think because we're stepping from like Rebels into like a New Hope era and New mm-hmm. Hope um, kind of stuff, I, I, I think this choice away from James Arnold Taylor seems to be like, underlining that point and kind of putting an exclamation on it even more. It's like this would have been Alec Guinness's voice if we could have had it because yeah. you're stepping out of Rebels into a new hope. So, and I, like, let's give it that voice as much as possible, which is as good as James Arnold Taylor is. He's very um, Clone Wars Obi-Wan mm-hmm. for me. And so I, I like this choice and I think it like does well to break that fourth wall in this moment for us a little bit and like throw us in a new hope and like even the ending music i mean i won't i won't get into the well maybe i will the very ending music we don't end with rebels right we end with the binary sunset theme of the twin sons at the end Mm -hmm. and with luke at the lars homestead so it's like that voice choice really just underlines all of that for me and i think Mm -hmm. is really smart yeah, I like the I like the point you made about this being kind of an official gateway into the New Hope era. Yeah, it's almost like a you're a transition, like they're handing the baton off in the relay race. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think they did with with the voice it was cool and the animation too. Um, if you notice, you know one one of the things I really like is when he is shifting his stance. He does that cool uh, Clone Wars era like 
two finger point thing. Yeah. But then shifts into kind of more established new hope, yeah. um, kind of old guy lightsaber thing. Yeah. And so, you know, Alex Guinness never did that two finger point thing. That was all Ewan McGregor. Um, so that's like a very interesting, like, like literally bridging the gap between Ewan McGregor and Alec Guinness. Yeah. Um, which I, I think like is that. pretty cool. Taking a little yeah. bit from you, a little bit from me. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Also, I saw, um, when I was looking at the Rebels Recon, have you ever seen the video where they overlay Ewan McGregor's face on Alec McGinnis? Uh, Alec, Alec McGinnis. <laughs> Alec McGinnis. Alec Guinness, Guinness's face? So uh, no. It's kind of wild. You can see these videos that their like facial features match up almost perfectly. Weird. Like the where their eyes are located and their nose shape and their mouth and everything. It's it's uncanny. Hmm. Yeah, it's just that's just a fun tidbit that I love about how perfect that casting was. Mm. God, so good, Obi. I yeah. can't wait. Obi Wan is definitely one of my favorite characters. So mm-hmm. the excitement around possibly getting a show is totally. Um, before we get to the fight I want to jump to one more call Um, you might remember we did a bonus episode with contest winner Sam Um, she was really fun to have on so we wanted to see if we can get her thoughts and I think she chats a little bit about the music which is something that I don't really yeah we don't really talk about a lot so it was really fun to get her perspective on that so let's go to Sam noise twin sons Let's do it. Okay, so for Twin Sons, I think that this entire episode's the epitome of really what makes Rebels such a great uh, form of Star Wars storytelling. It's one of the, it shows off all the reasons why I think that, you know, for me, Rebels is my favorite piece of Star Wars storytelling. Poetry really distills stuff down, and I think that Rebels does that in a way that creates this poetic art. This poetry is something that's seen in a lot of storytelling elements within Twin Suns specifically. The music decides to leave us as right after, you know, Ezra has this little tussle with the Tusken Raiders in the sense that the music and melodic themes of Rebels are kind of absent for the majority of the episode. Um, You know, uh, just as, you know, the desolation of Tatooine is showing. And then, um, you know, it only, the music only, like, really kind of comes back, um, you know, when Kenobi and Maul are face-to-face in this epic, epic battle um, of epic proportions. Then you get to see this, um, this mix of twin suns, the binary sunset theme, and you get this mix of Duel of the Fates and that kind of um, conflict. And I think that's just, like, really really beautiful music and this is just another reason why Kevin Kiner needs some sort of award for this show this is just peak peak music in general um and yeah and so even the end of the episodes we end up fading out on the binary sunset theme um which always makes me cry whenever Dave Filoni decides to end an episode on the binary sunset theme I can this is like it happens in a lot of episodes um of Rebels Clone Wars and everything but it just makes me cry and I'm just like Dave Filoni why are you doing this to me um but that sort of like hope at the end that you know the binary sunset really represents is just like so poignant But yeah, Twin Suns is a beautiful episode and really shows off, you know, what 
Rebels gets right and why, you know, it's one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars storytelling. Cool. Thanks, Sam. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, and you can find Sam on yeah. Twitter at SamWowX. Um, give her a follow. She's, she's fun. Yeah. She's been there. She's been there from, from very early on. We really appreciate it. So thanks, Sam. Chatting through some things we hadn't really considered. Yeah. Yep. Love the touches on the music. Um, mm-hmm. um, so jumping fully into the fight. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about most of it. Mm-hmm. One of the, I, I can specifically remember the first time I watched this, this episode and all of the, samurai movies started jumping to my head Mm, Um, Dave Filoni specifically says it's a reference to seven samurai in the um, Kyozo's Mm -hmm. uh, kind of first fight but I tended to think the first time I saw this I thought about was the Kurosawa film Sanjuro Um, Mm. you're going to have to look up Sanjuro final duel um it's Peter, maybe I'm gonna send it to you right now. Watch this. Okay. But in this in this clip I sent you, this the final battle of Sanjuro, um, mm-hmm. final duel, it is basically two moves. It's like one move, and then they just stand and they pause and you don't really know the outcome for a, mm-hmm. a brief moment until one falls. And I I thought it was so this moment and oh, I, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah, I just watched the clip. And that is that's fantastic. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty yeah. pretty one to one Kurosawa. Totally, a lot a lot more blood though, which that <laughs> yeah. would have made this if he cut yeah. down Maul. There's blood squirting. Oh my God, that'd be so cool. <laughs> well, with a lightsaber, it cauterizes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I suppose. Um, yeah, the thing that I think is most interesting about this fight actually is the aftermath of it, like immediately afterwards, um, because God, I love it. You see, and this kind of shows, you know, the bigger picture, the empathy that that um, Obi-Wan is fighting with and kind of believing and that's what's fueling him versus the revenge and the hate that Maul is using. Because right after this fight, he he grabs Maul before he falls yeah, to the ground. The one, the long lost, it's a Ju- Romeo and Juliet moment. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's it, that's that's actually a great kind of analogy you know out of respect and pity they have this this conversation and then maul dies and kenobi closes maul's eyes and you know it's beautiful underneath the the moons it is really beautiful and I, I wasn't even kidding when i said in the beginning like his one true love i think this is a love-ish relationship going on here mm-hmm. with maul because it's it's partly partly like obi-wan was a worthy adversary and i think maul respects that he's obsessed yeah. with him to the point of, I would argue, almost loving him. <laughs> like, um, And a world without Kenobi seems like it would be a bit like, uh, I'm going to do a great analog here for you, Peter, because I know this is mm-hmm. really going to tickle your fancy. Perfect. We're really glad I got to use that term. Um, <laughs> I, I remember in Hook um, how lost James Hook seemed without Peter Pan. He seemed aimless and useless. Uh, and it that's was a like, fantastic analogy. When all of a sudden Peter Pan comes back, Hook has this reason. He's like, mm-hmm. he's alive again. He's found his, you know, his mojo is back. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of Obi-Wan and Maul. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think that um, on top of that, this Maul starts to, this is one of the first times that Maul kind of learns because Maul has been very bad at learning any lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of that bowl analogy I was saying where he just, he just powers through things and, you know, if it doesn't work, he's just like, fine, on to the next thing. I'll just fight more and blow more things up. Um, and so when he says they have this this conversation at the end, and he says we, he will avenge us. Yeah, that's powerful because I think that's him recognizing at the end of the day, you know, they're Palpatine's they're boys? brothers. Yeah, they're, oh, they're yeah. they are twin sons. Oh yeah, in their own ways. Wow, that's great. Right. <laughs> wow, that's actually I just thought of that. That's really good. Um, Thanks. Yeah, they've both been messed with by Palpatine. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like they like Obi Wan and Kenobi aren't each other's enemies. No. Palpatine is their enemy and they were both played against each other. Yeah. And that is, I think probably Obi-Wan probably understood that a lot earlier than Maul did. And Maul is finally coming to that realization. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Powerful. That thing you just said was so powerful. If you think about um, what this moment actually means for Obi-Wan and, you know, this kind of just shows the heroism, if that's a word, um, of Obi-Wan is, so he's holding maul in his arms as he dies this is the person who killed his master and he held his master in his in his arms as he died so qui-gon jinn died because of maul Mm -hmm. and died in obi-wan's arms then qui-gon jinn held his lover dying in his arms yeah thanks to maul again who was Satine? yeah yeah duchess Satine. and so now maul is dying the man who killed both his lover and his teacher and his father figure, holding him dying in his arms, and he's giving the same compassion to this person who wreaked so much havoc in his life that he did to these people who were so important to him. And he reaches out with compassion and closes his eyes and finally lets them all rest, which I think is a very powerful moment. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, Yeah. And thematically, another kind of interesting thing that I didn't realize until I did some research is you know, Qui-Gon Jinn's last words and Maul's last words are very similar. Qui-Gon Jinn's very last yeah, words is, him. he is the chosen yeah. one versus, is he the chosen one? Which is really interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, I love that it's bookended by, by two very different, uh, you know, these duels are bookended by two very different endings. It's yeah. and, and they're very similar. Even Satine's ending is somewhat, is in here a little bit and yeah. her being held. Um, yeah, holy moly. Mm-hmm. How freaking good. Yeah. Um, before we get to the very, very end of the episode, let's do one last call in. Yeah. Um, from this is this was a, this was a fun one. This guy, he hasn't been on the podcast, he's a new one. This is Manny. Um he doesn't have a podcast or anything. He's just a funny, cool guy on Twitter. Um <laughs> Manny Bothins, yeah, uh, with a Z. He's been kind of on the podcast, he's been one of our friends online from very early time and he's an awesome follow on twitter so that's manny bothan and then z at the end i love it yep he's great so follow him and let's hear his thoughts about this episode i remember that first day twin sons aired vividly uh remember at that point i was sort of watching rebels casually recreationally I wasn't fully invested in the show or really fandom yet. This is pre-Last Jedi, so I wasn't like into the cult of fandom yet. 
remember I'd, I'd use my kids as an excuse to watch the show because I wasn't totally comfortable as an adult watching an animated series yet. Uh, so I'd make them watch it with me until they lost interest five minutes in. Twin Sons absolutely was the turning point for that. Like after Twin Sons, I, uh, I just became fully indoctrinated. I remember texting all my uh, normie casual friends immediately afterwards saying, you got to watch this show. Like, even if you've never seen an episode, you have to watch this episode. I, th I still think it'll make sense out of context for you. You just, you have to see it. It's really amazing. And just really trying to sell the show to people afterwards. I remember I was so excited to see the reactions to this uh, episode. I, I didn't know many people that watched it, so I went to YouTube and I found, you know, a, sh a, sh a reaction video of, for adult men watching the show and um, I remember at the end one of them started crying when he saw you know eight-year-old Luke Skywalker running across the horizon and this was this grown man crying about seeing it and Aunt Beru calling his name and I remember that was just so validating uh, for me because I was feeling very emotional about it too and uh, I didn't expect myself to feel that way it was uh, just really incredible. The best thing about seeing a character, like a legacy character like this, is when when the show gets it right, or when like new creatives writing old characters get the character right, and everything about the way Obi Wan behaves is so uh, perfect and so perfectly Jedi and like a wizened man through experience and tragedy. And um, the way he is so gentle with Maul at the end, I'm sure everyone was moved by that. It's just incredible. That might be one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars. Thank you, Manny, for that. Thanks. Ugh, yeah, this is great. Yeah. I'm really happy with everyone that we have on this. This is so much fun. Yeah. Um, um, so I don't know. Do you have any more specific fight thoughts or do you want to wrap this up with <sighs> the very, very ending of that? Episode? Yeah, let's just jump to it. Let's jump to the end. Yep. So this was another really powerful moment. I thought is, you know, after this is all done, this is laid to rest. Presumably I'm hope I'm assuming that Obi-Wan like chopped Maul's body up into tiny little pieces. Yeah, just to, like, I, I, make sure he doesn't come back again. <laughs> what was lacking was a funeral. I would, yeah. I would have loved even just a high level shot of a pyre. Um, <laughs> no, really. Like I wanted a funeral pyre at the end where it's like he is giving him the same respect yeah. that, um, I don't know. That would have been nice. Yeah. yeah, I see. I'm much more cynical. I was like, in my head, I'm picturing like him just like chopping him up Great. and like putting him in garbage bags and like feeding him to the sarlacc. Love it. <laughs> but um, we see after they discuss the chosen one, Obi Wan goes to Lars Homestead and you hear the familiar Luke. Ugh. And we see Luke Skywalker, which is wild. Yeah, it is wild. For Rebels. It is really it legitimately is super wild. Bonkers. I, no, I, yeah. I unsarcastically agree with you. It is really bonkers. Yeah, and I just think this is such a fantastic bookend yeah. um, to the episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really know if there's any great overarching thoughts. I just thought this was a beautiful way to end the episode, just such a nice way to just, like, kind of wrap everything up in a bow. Yeah, beautiful um, way to end both Maul's arc 
overall, mm-hmm. honestly. I don't know that you could do him more justice than yep. give him Obi-Wan. And um, I thought this episode, yeah, it's a yep. beautiful way to end this episode. Yep, end Maul's arc and start Luke's arc. Yeah. So this is very kind of, this is, again, passing the baton between the prequel era and the Empire era or whatever we want to call yeah. it. Um, I think this is very interesting. Yeah. Um, there is a fun little behind-the-scenes thing that I, I think you discussed it at one point when we were doing the deep dive on Ezra, but Luke and Ezra were born within days of each other. Mm-hmm. So oh, they're yeah, the well, same that was like age the, at the first point. episode we had all that chat. Yep. Um, so they used Ezra's model for this. So when you're looking at when you're looking at Luke in the background running back to the homestead, that's actually Ezra running that's in the so background. Yeah. yeah, so I just thought that was fun. Oh my gosh. Um wow, freaking amazing. Yeah. That that's this is fantastic. So uh, I mean, do, I think, do, do you know what I have? Uh, I have I have another thought. I th- I thought th- I forgot to throw in there, but yeah, uh, an, another a great line that Obi Wan says that I wanted to talk about it was that when Ezra is asking him to fight, he wants to fight with him, and Obi Wan says that is not your responsibility. I will mend this old wound. Oh um, yeah, old wound here. Um, of, of course, you know it works on a lot of different levels, mm-hmm. but um when he's talking about like his feud with Maul, but it's also, he's kind of name dropping the infinity comics here um, mm-hmm. because there was a confrontation on Tatooine in those comics and the comic was called old wounds. Oh, um, so this comic was there when the clone and the clone wars got the idea for Maul's and this is where they clone wars got the idea for Maul's cyber, uh, cyborg legs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of, yeah, it's a little that. Maul's death in that comic is a little, less yeah. ceremonious yeah. than it is in this one because Lars just shoots him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny, actually. That is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, and I like that. And I, I like I interpreted that when he says, I will heal this old wound, that he he's talking about the wounds that were inflicted on not just him, but also on Maul. You know, Maul ha- is walking around with this open wound as well. Yeah. And... This goes back to the, you know, them being lovers. Um, I think so. That not, not Obi-Wan, yeah, you know, love in a different sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, um, you know, Obi-Wan finally closes this long wound that Maul has had probably for his entire life ever since Palpatine entered his life. Yeah. And he gives a gift to Maul in, in a very real way, which I think is very nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I will say one last thought on Obi-Wan in his speech. When he's saying that if you define yourself by your power to take life, desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the reasons that Palpatine plucked Maul um, out of, you know, it, to be his apprentice, was he saw in him this, and he just teased it out more and more and more. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was like... Obi-Wan referencing a little bit like if you're defining yourself by like the things Palpatine Palpatine has seen in you and made you then you mm-hmm. have nothing oh um, yeah I like that a lot so yeah but man what an amazing episode what an episode So, Peter, how we end every episode 
is mm-hmm. on the grading scale of our least favorite thing to most thing and favorite thing in Star Wars. How would you rate this episode? So my favorite thing in Star Wars is Rey pulling the lightsaber out of the snow in Force Awakens. The least favorite thing is everything C-3PO has done anytime other than in the original trilogy. And my grade for this episode is Darth Maul igniting his double-bladed lightsaber in Phantom Menace for the first time, which was such a moment. That is an absolute A+. Wow. I don't have much else to say. This is just an A-plus episode. Way to go, Star Wars. That's amazing. Yep. How about you? So on a scale of Obi-Wan and Maul's final battle in episode Twin Sons of Rebels, which is my (laughs) favorite moment, to the entirety of the 1997 (laughs) re-releases, I would give this episode a Maul fights Obi-Wan on Tatooine and dies at his loving hands. Wow. Which is an A+. It's the absolute (laughs) best thing in Star Wars. What a poetic moment. A return to George Lucas's samurai love and just a well-written episode. Um, Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You didn't see that coming. (laughs) I didn't. Great. So this was a fun one. Thanks for coming on this ride with us. We were trying to do something a little special and a little different for this. And thank you so much to everyone who called in and talked to us about Twin Sons. We love having the guests on here and meeting so many fun people in the fandom. This episode is what Star Wars is about. And I am happy that we were able to come together and just chat about it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Before we go out for sure, let stay tuned to the end of the episode because we have a little bonus to our interview with Katie Horn. She just doesn't want to stop talking about Maul. So we start, we, we stopped the segment, but she just kept having, uh, it's just a fun little thing about Duel of the Fate. So stay tuned to the end of the episode and we will have a little bit more with Katie Horn at the end. Nice. So thanks for that, Katie. Um, you can find us at Rebels Rebels Pod mm-hmm. at Gmail mm-hmm. and on Instagram and Twitter. Um, please rate and review us give us those reviews tell some friends let's grow this thing we love rebels we love star wars and we love meeting fun people and talking about it in a positive way yeah and remember until next time to be brave out there and don't look back don't look back bye sweet no that was awesome (laughs) yeah i was like I was like the whole time you were talking, I had my hand on my chin. I was just listening. I was like, oh, okay. You're like, ooh. <laughs> I like it. Go on. <laughs> I had, no, I, I had no idea about that poem. And, and that's right. Well, that's wild. why, gosh, I could go off about Jewel of the Fates, and I will. Here we go. <laughs> so that's why Jewel of the Fates is repeated throughout the prequels. You know, that's why we, we hear it when Anakin is going out, you know, looking for his mother. You know, we hear Jewel of the Fates plays because there is a battle happening inside of him. You know, under the shade of the tree, a fight most dread. You know, there's the clashing lightsabers, but another rages inside the head. That's what's happening inside of Anakin, you know. And then we hear Jewel of the Fates again when Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting. You know, those clashing blades are nothing compared to this emotional struggle happening between two brothers, you know. You're my brother, Anakin. I loved yeah. you. You know, that's why, that's why Duel of the Fates is like 
I don't know, when it when it plays, you kind of have to look up a little bit and and think about what's going on here that I'm not seeing. You know? Mm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's also, I didn't know the fact about it being in Sanskrit and they're just like saying stuff. Like, yeah, they're just saying, they're like pulling, you know, <laughs> words out of the poem. So like, you know, yeah. they're, they're saying dread, you know, the fight most dread, like yeah. raging. <laughs> in my head, I like, I want to, I want to translate a version where they're just like, grumpy, turmoil, <laughs> that guy is mean. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Oh gosh. Uh, awesome. That, mm-hmm. that, thanks. I'm going to leave that stuff in too, because that was oh, fascinating nice. as well. Uh- <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> cool. <laughs>